Let's take up our Bibles and read at the prophecy of Ezekiel 37, chapter 37. We'll read the first 14 verses. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14, hear the word of the Lord. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, You know. Again, he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these bones Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slains that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came unto them, and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord." Thus far we read this prophecy, prophecy of Ezekiel, recorded for us and our learning and edification, the very word of God. This word of God is one of the grandest on revival. It is the grandest, certainly, of the Old Testament, if not also uh, like unto 1 Corinthians 15 in the New. It speaks of life from the dead. It speaks of life from the dead for those who have been alive, and yet they've fallen asleep and are under the wrath of God, as it were, in a foreign land and under his displeasure. It speaks to us. It speaks of our need of life in him and also revival every single day. And when we fall, a revival for those who have fallen and who are backslidden. Here is a word for every season and everyone in the face of the earth and especially for the house of Israel itself, which ought to lead the way in testifying of the God of revival. This was the word, in fact, this word and others like it, this word of life from the dead that was at the heart of the Reformation. For a long time, the church had languished in the death of dead dead orthodoxy, 
than which hardly is there anything greater a death, dead orthodoxy. And there had been, in fact, a lack of orthodoxy, even a complete departure from truth in the Roman Catholic state church. The reformers found themselves buried under the trappings of Rome and her sacerdotalism in her hocus-pocus of a godless priesthood and priestcraft, as people called it, so that there needed to be the Holy Spirit from on high in the very word itself, working in reformers' hearts and in their minds to see the truth of the gospel under all of the rubbish of Rome. And so, by the grace of God, there were pre-reformers and also one like Martin Luther who led the way and said in the face of the Roman uh, onslaught and juggernaut, here I stand, I can do no other. I stand on the word of God. Luther found the gospel as life-giving, and we ought to find that gospel as life-giving as well. In fact, the entire Reformation that we celebrate was a performance of God of reviving the church and reestablishing her on the ground and foundation of the Word of God alone. We need this. We need this every day. That's why I want to consider this text of this great revival of dead and dry bones and remember that one of the watchwords of the Reformation was that we are to be alive as Reformed or to put it in the language of the Reformers and their heirs, we are to be Reformed but alive and always ought to be reforming, that is, holding to the truth and yet growing in it, so that our lives reflect that we are those who live by the truth, and we are not going to be dead in our orthodoxy, and also that our doctrine is conformed to the Word of God and we grow in appreciation for it. That's the idea of being reformed and always reforming. And I would say to you that we need the Spirit from on high and the Word here right in front of us and very nigh to us to effect this revival constantly, to be our lifeblood, as it were, the life of this church, the life of families, the revival of this church, the revival of families, the revival of the church in all the world. So may it be that we consider this blessed hope of the believer as we consider the resurrection of the dry bones. And that's the theme of my sermon, the resurrection of the dry bones. What to consider, or the revival of the dry bones. What to consider that it's a blessed resurrection. This is what is going on here and is typified and symbolized here. And then we want to consider the wonderful way it's affected by the Son of Man and his preaching and the Spirit coming and so on. And then finally, that this is for the great glory of the life-giving God, so may it be so for us. There is this valley here, maybe a particular valley that's mentioned earlier in Ezekiel, not sure, but he set is the prophet in the midst of this valley, the valley, and it's known and ever will be known because it's now in the Word of God, is the Valley of the Bones. And it was full of bones, this valley. And these bones are also said to be very many in this valley. And indeed, verse 2, they were very dry. And as we learn later on, that there was, as a result of the revival, 
a, an exceeding great army that came out of these bones. We get the impression that these bones were here as a result of a great slaughter by another army that vanquished the people that were attached to these bones at one time, even the house of Israel. So you have this picture of death, and this is indeed Death Valley before we named our valley Death Valley. This is death, and this is the valley where you learn what death is in body and in soul in this Word of God. But here we have this this Death Valley and these bones, and they're very dry, and this is indicative of the state of Israel here who are the ones who uh, are told to be so hopeless that they say, verse 11, our bones are dry and our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. You see, there's a picture here of, in this vision of, of Ezekiel. His spirit takes him and there's this vision of this valley of dry bones and it's, it's informative. It reminds us of a spiritual condition of these people of God. They're hopeless and they're helpless, for the setting is they're in, they're in Babylon. They're in another place than the land of the living, which for them was Israel, the land of Canaan, the land of promise. For God there promised to be their God in that land, and if they're in exile, that means they've now done something to... Uh, to promote the wrath of God upon them. They're not in, in the good graces of God, as we would say. In fact, Israel, we know, had committed idolatry. They'd been taken to another land in the 6th century B.C., and they were there now and languishing, and Ezekiel is there and by the river Chebar, and they're singing uh, in lament for Zion that they long to be back to, and And they're hopeless and they're dead in their hopelessness. It's as if, in fact, they were this valley of dry bones. So dry, been dead and hopeless long, long time. So here it is. There's nothing fantastic about it, entertaining about it. We want to draw or write a song about this and make fun of it, make light of it, because this is a picture of not only the hopelessness of Israel, but of the hopelessness of all mankind outside of God. Here's the first lesson. This valley of the dry bones is a picture of the death of man. It's a picture of the death of all of those who are under the wrath of God, Not, first of all, outside the promised land as Israel, but outside of Eden. East of Eden and further east or west, but not in Eden. That is, it's the death of the sons of Adam. Here's a picture of what Paul says in Ephesians 2 is death. The death of trespasses and sins. The death of those who are exposed to the wrath of God as the just judgment For he has pronounced death upon all of those in Adam who would dare to defy him. And it's the wages of sin. That's what it is. The dry bones indicate that it's hopeless. 
that there's no way of reviving this people except from on high. Humankind is this way, and they're in need of this, this work of God causing life. But also, we need to know, this is a picture here of the revival that we in our sins so often, and I would say continually, need. A revival is different than vival. Vival is that life-giving work of the Spirit in regenerating us. Vival is a made-up word, but trying to describe the first act of giving life is by the regenerating Spirit. And that is there symbolized, here symbolized to be sure. But the work of revival is something that's emphasized in this text because Israel had been the people of God. They were alive unto God. They'd already been born, born again, as we would say, and born as a nation. And back in Ezekiel 16 speaks of that. It speaks of this nation like an infant lying in her bloods. And by the menstrual cloth or by, by the, the, uh, the, all of the blood that's involved in her birth. And she was born as a stillbirth child. And she was languishing in Egypt as this dead people that was as good as dead under Pharaoh's bondage and his hand of oppression. And in Ezekiel 16 we read of the fact that God visited that nation for the first time and then they, they lived because he said live. He commanded there to be life from the death and that was the beginning of Israel, picturing the beginning of, of all of us if we would have life. That first vivifying work of God among the dead sons of Adam to call them Israel and to constitute them a people of God. You know that work? Well, then, beloved, you should know this, that we need revival every single day, and especially when we've been backsliding for a time or so with regard to one or two or a hundred thousand sins. We need God to quicken our souls to repent and to come back to him and to be those who are truly the people of God. This is the state that Israel was in, and it was hopeless to them And Israel goes to the dry bones, or Ezekiel is called to go to that valley of the dry bones and and to give life to this people that are symbolized by the bones who themselves are by the river Chebar and in different places in Babylon, but not home and decidedly not alive to the things of God. Not happy. Lamenting the fact that they got themselves in this mess. Oh, to be sure, there were many in Israel who had not good motives for their lamentation, and they'd been carried away, and they were not the true Israel of God, but there was God's people there. And God's people there were truly lamenting that they'd backslidden and that they had fallen for it. They'd gone after the idols and the bales, and they hadn't been satisfied with God, and they'd been worse than sons of Adam. They were sons of Abraham, who had departed from the promise and said, nuts to that, the world is better. Nuts to that, drink is better. And whatever else, whatever other drug the world can provide. 
God's not enough, and the word is not enough, and Ezekiel the prophet's not enough, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the rest, those words from heaven through those men, not powerful enough in my life. Let me seek after Baal or Ashtaroth or some other god or some other thing, some other drug or other kind people. So the death of the Valley of Bones, the Valley of Bones symbolizes death at the first for all the sons of Adam, but then this backsliding as good as dead people of God who need the quickening spirit to be right with God again. Finally, we could say that this valley of dry bones is a picture of the world and all of its cemeteries. And then the calling to life of the dry bones and the rising of the dead uh, from the, the dead of those dry bones is a picture of the resurrection. And how many have found resurrection hope in these words of Ezekiel? The bones rise up. Not just the souls, but the bones are joined to the tenu, tendons and the sinews. And there's meat on the bones and then it's joined to the souls. And there's this resurrection. And that indeed is a picture here. Uh, something like the picture of the prophet Ezekiel. Who would say in Isaiah 26 and verse 19, Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise, awake and sing. You who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. And in other places as well, we know of this prophecy, prophesying of the resurrection of the dead, like Daniel, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so you have here these Old Testament pictures, these snippets of what the Bible in the New Testament teaches is the reality, the reality of the blessed life from heaven. Now, this is the wonder here, and this to summarize this first point, this wonder of life from the dead. And I say a wonder because if there's no life from the dead, all there is in this world is, is death. And there's no such thing as revival either because there's no vival in the first place. There's no life in the first place. If there's no Death, or uh, uh, rising from the dead, and, and then revival, and then the ultimate resurrection of the body. There's just no hope, and all is vain, and this life is one big cemetery, and we're meant to die, and we're born to die, and we, we live to die, and even though we're living, we're like those zombies. And all we do is live the monstrous life of sinners outside the fellowship of God. Eden, Jerusalem, the courts of God, the fellowship of God's covenant. No life. In this, because God is holy. This is the message of the Bible. There's no life. Because God has said, the soul that sins that shall surely die. And so in justice, he punishes sin with death. He doesn't just say, I'm going to slap you on the wrist. 
But because, as our catechism reminds us, sin is sin against the most high majesty of God, it needs to be punished commensurate with the guilt of the sin. Therefore, God is glorified in this place called hell. Hell for all the hellions and all the rebellers against God. But resurrection, and the resurrection that's depicted in three different ways, at least in this text, is the gospel. There's life from the dead. It's beautiful. There is life. There is life on planet Earth. Isn't that amazing? There is life from the dead, even. Not just life that's created life, but life that's redeemed life. Life that's the grace life. Life that is not just on your own and doing your thing, but life with God. Life so that we're renewed in the image of God. Life so that we can represent God and live for another and be happy in him. That's what life is all about. And so the courts of God are more than life to me, we say, because we get to live there and do what we love to do the most, which is live to worship the great God of our life. Well, why does this occur? What's the wonder of this? What's brought out in the text that God is pleased to use Ezekiel. He's called, as he is 87 times in his book, the Son of Man. And, beloved, that means Jesus. That's Jesus' favorite word, Son of Man. It bespeaks his divinity. It bespeaks his humanity and his being the perfectly righteous Savior. That's Jesus. Ezekiel is pictured here as the mediator between the Lord the holy God, and those sinners who are dead. And that valley of dry, dry bones, and many, many bones that are all uh, scattered there, and there's no hope in them. Ezekiel would be used of God for their salvation. That's Jesus. It's not about Ezekiel, of course. It's Jesus. Now, beloved, this is the gospel. Gospel of life from the dead. Because, you see, in the end, this text is not about the valley of the dry bones, but this is about the valley where God worked life from the dry bones. God brought those bones together, children. That's a lot of bones. I hear that in people there's maybe 200 or so bones in every person, and then you multiply that by hundreds of thousands of bones, and there's lots of bones. And in the heat of battle, and they'd been slain by some superior force, and we know we're slain by the devil himself. In the heat of battle, Israel dies in one body on another, and then they're all over the place, and the bones are scattered, as it were, and there's no order to it all. But God makes life on the bones. And he does this by the Son of Man, who's commanded by God, appointed by God, to be the word of life. Amazing. Just what God does. He would create things, creates by his word. And that's why Genesis is so important. The very beginning of the Bible, to take it literally, literally like it reads as real history, is to remember that God spoke there literally, let there be, and there was. 
Let there be light. Let there be dry land. Let there be sky. Let there be grass. Let there be man. Let there be woman. And, and there was, indeed, by the powerful, creative word of God. When God comes to save us, he comes by his word, the Son of God, speaking into the earth. That's what God was doing in the Old Testament. Prophetically in Ezekiel and in Daniel and Isaiah and in Jeremiah and all of those. And then in the fullness of time, God in these latter days spoke to us by his son. Did you hear that word, the New Testament word? God was speaking to us by Jesus and is speaking to us by Jesus. And God spoke into the universe of the New Testament uh, and the fullness of the time that was come upon them. And he spoke in this powerful way in the valley of humanity, saying, I am God, the God of the living and the God of the dead who commands the dead to rise. That's Jesus. Little baby Jesus. The great big word of God in Bethlehem. And then growing up. And then working miracles and preaching as the very wisdom and creative power of God. And then dying. And this is the wonder of it all. Here we have in the Valley of the Dry Bones and Ezekiel who simply speaks. But we know that Jesus, he lays down his life for the life of many. He lays down his Bones are those that are all but crushed, though not a bone is broken because he's the pure lamb of God and God will see that he's glorified appropriately even in his death. But his body dies and his soul is received up into heaven. His blood is shed. This is the cost of God coming to the valley of the dry bones. You see, here there's no cost. But on Calvary there's a cost. It cost God. The blood was precious, more precious than silver and gold, Peter says. That's why the love of God is so displayed there so elegantly and wonderfully. And here it all is pictured in, in Ezekiel's prophecy. Jesus dies that we might live. And Jesus dies that we might live and be revived and Keep on living and not just hang on. You see what happens, beloved, when, when we backslide and we resist God and we say, ah, I'm not comfortable with this Christianity thing. I'm not comfortable in my own skin. I'm not comfortable in my own family. And, and I just got to have this liberty. But uh, never mind that it causes problems and I'm sinning, I just got to get out and so on. When, when we do that, we're saying the blood of Jesus. Oh, it might have been enough to avail for me and to be the basis of this regenerating work of the Spirit, but it can't be for my continued life. And so I'm just going to live my life, and, and that's okay, and finally they'll have the resurrection. But we so often miss the middle, don't we? Maybe as Reformed believers, that's our problem. Regeneration of God, yes. Resurrection of body and soul, yes. But all in the middle, in every chapter of my life, we say, let me write it. 
Let me know or show you what it is to be happy. I'm going to write chapter 2. Bit of chapter 3. I'm going to write my single life. I'm going to determine what's good for me and what's best for me. I stammer a few words about the problem I have. I think we all do. I speak as a man to men and, and women. Living out the Christian life. Being reformed and always reforming. Living. So truth matters. God matters. That's second but first. That's just doing good but giving our all and our excellence for the highest. And finding revival in a bottle or a dream or wasting our time on the internet doesn't make sense, does it, when we consider the wonderful way and the truth and the life, Jesus, the revelation of the glorious God, when we consider the expense of Calvary, when we consider how precious Jesus is. So, that's the wonderful way. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Ezekiel represents him. And then Ezekiel speaking, his preaching, as he must do. He sat down in the midst of the the valley that was full of bones, and God causes Ezekiel to pass by them all around to behold them, to behold there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were dry. And, and then he asked the Ezekiel, the, the son of man, can these bones live? And he works out of him this humility, and he defers to God, and he says, Lord God, you know, the humble prophet trusts in God, and he trusts in God when God says to him, now you speak to these bones. God, you know, you know, it's up to you to know whether these dry bones can be, be elevated and revived or not. But when God says, you speak to them, Ezekiel gets busy and he prophesies to the bones. And he does as God commands him, say to the dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these bones. You see, even in death, we're gods. These are his bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live, and I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath on you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Sounds like Jesus. Coming to do the will of the Father, not his own will. Doing all that he commanded him, saving everyone of God's elect, every last one of them, and reviving them so that they can be proper sons and daughters of God, lifting them out of the mire, calling them back, and up. You see, the way from Babylon is up first, then west. Ezekiel prophesies as he's commanded, and there's a noise and suddenly a rattling. Imagine that. In Halloween, they like to scare us. What do you think this would have looked like? Sounded like the rattling of the bones of the dead. 
the true making alive of truly dead bones. And the bones then come together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. The skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Now, here's another scary thing, you would think. There is this thing that's going on here, this coming together of the parts. Bones, children, and sinew that ties the bones together and tendons, too, and, and all the stuff we call flesh, and you, you scholars know that better than I do, how that works. But amazing. But here they are. They're not yet alive, are they? There's no breath in them. Or as we could translate in every one of these cases, I, I, I believe, the ruach, the spirit, there was no spirit in them. And so there had to be another component to this life-giving work. And so also God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath or the wind or the spirit. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds from all over the earth, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came unto them, and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. So now... The bones have been commanded and the, the sinews and, the, and the, the meat and the bones are all together. And now the breath. So this is a picture, beloved, isn't it, of the word of God spoken by Jesus and the spirit of God commanded by Jesus to come into the hearts of the people of God who need life and who need revival. The mediator is this man of means, of word, creative and salvific, and of spirit, even the spirit of God, who in the economy of salvation is the spirit of Jesus Christ to teach of him and to work the life that he's earned for them. So all that Jesus did on Calvary and all the blessings that are earned there now come to the valleys of the dry bones, and there's life. And they come to the pits in our life, and there's revival. They come to the stale marriages, and there's new life, new love. And they come to the problems in the church, to these, the Word and the Spirit. And the Son of God says, I'm for life. And you live. You ever experienced that, beloved? The Son of God, by His Spirit and Word, commanding life in all the earth among His own. The irresistible force, the champion of our salvation. A loving power from heaven that begins this plan of salvation and executes it perfectly. Even through the hands of wicked men, even through the ups and downs of life, the life is what shines out, which is outstanding even in the valleys of life, in the valley of the shadow of death. You know that life? Strikingly, God uses humble Ezekiel here who's lamenting with the people of God by the river Chebar in Babylon, 
And he also uses ministers today to bring the word. And churches today to bring the word. This is part of the glory of it. I'll lead into my last point this way. There is this glorification of God here. Here's what happens. God predicts and prophesies to Ezekiel the prophet, this is what's going to happen. They're going to live. Those bones are going to be put together. There's going to be spirit in it. They're going to live. And they shall know the Lord. They shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 6. That's everything the Bible talks about. The knowledge of God covering the face of the earth, valley by valley, soul by soul, family by family, church by church, the knowledge of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Knowledge of God. Not just knowledge so that you're responsible and you're going to be judged. This is saving knowledge. The knowledge of God. When all we knew was death and all we thought about was our problems and we were so wrapped up in ourselves and we compounded the problem by reacting to the, to the problem selfishly. That's how it goes, isn't it? And God says, now you know me in the midst of your problems. Difficulties and trials. Now you get to know me. That's life. That's why when the reformers rediscovered the gospel, and it was life to them, because the gospel is about the truth of God, the good news of God, the good news of Jesus, the good news of grace, the good news of, of Christ alone and faith alone, and everything that God says is has to be alone or or man gets the glory and it would not happen. You see, there's no man here. There's a son of man, the mediator, but there's no man. There's no bone reaching up and saying, I desire God. And no particle of the intestines saying, I desire God. It's gross, isn't it? Well, heresy is like that. It's gross. Can't do it. God saves sinners. You want to know what this church is all about? That message. You want to know what the Reformed faith is all about? God alone saves totally depraved sinners. Lost sinners. And God gets all the glory in that. And this people as well is an exceedingly great army. When they're made to stand upon their feet, it's to do battle. Verse 10 I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came unto them, and they lived and stood upon their feet in exceedingly great army. Isn't that something? You'd think they need some therapy first, wouldn't you? Dry bones been dried a long time. You've got to stretch out, got to go to therapy, got to recuperate a little bit. Well, it's as if they rise up and they got swords in their hands, and they got breastplates and helmets and so on, and they're ready to fight, which is exactly what the church is. If we're a living church, beloved, we're a battling church. If we're in the Reformed tradition, it's all about doing battle for God. It's all about fighting and the captain of the host fighting on our behalf and his saying, here's the sword, here's the word of God. 
with regard to your problems, with regard to every heresy, with regard to setting forth the truth, with regarding to catechizing the young so that they can be armed and the future armory of God. You see, it's far greater than the draft. It's God calling us irresistibly to be in his army. And so that this whole world can be taken over. And every last one of God's elect saved. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's our calling. Every one of us. Spiritually to fight. Not politically. Spiritually. And then, just this one thing, maybe two. Striking that after this vision of the revival, symbolizing life-giving God's blessing upon us. There's this other vision, and it's of the Son of Man taking a stick and writing on it, and the stick represents Judah, and then there's the children of Israel represented by another stick, and they, they, they are united. There's a picture there of the unity of the church. So, People have said, rightly so, the first part of Ezekiel 37 is about the life of the church and the second is about her unity. And that's a great blessing, a great blessing to be one. And it's a great blessing to be one here, one in not just in uniformity, but in the spiritual unity and diversity that has Christ as the head and we all are joined in the life of Christ together. And it's even a blessing... uh, uh, federationally or denominationally so that we can meet as classes and we can deliberate certain things and, and be used in the calling of men, minister men who would bring the gospel word. So that's a great thing and let's remember to pray for the peace of Zion. Pray for policies of peace that the council pass and pray for the preaching of the gospel of peace and for counseling that's done over the pulpit if you hear It's being done for shepherding, and that's what God, the good shepherd, is. He's the shepherd who gives an Ezekiel and and a reverend here and a pastor there because he wants you to know right on this earth and house to house and hug to hug and word to word, you are loved. You are cared for. And you are known of God that you might know God and that you might live. Those are some things. Great chapter on life. Live out the life now, beloved. Live. You've been told to live. You've been commanded. Live. And now you live. Show forth the praises of the living God. He's the God of the living. He's the God of your life and your eternal life. Amen. We pray, Father, that you would bless us. Make your face to shine upon us. Give us life and peace. You will hear this word. Be revived in our souls. Repent and believe and be happy. Thanks, Lord, for ministering to us. It's been a beautiful Sabbath day. We pray to have a beautiful week in your service, empowered by the word, recollecting what you've spoken, recollecting that we are living in the midst of the valley of a fallen humanity, and so knowing our calling to shine the
the light, and the life of Christ. Hear our prayers and bless us, everyone. In Jesus' name, amen.